Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy Corey Dion Lewis. I'm excited to announce my new book, Better Self. It's your guide to a better sleep, exercise, love, and food. This book will be coming out in late fall. If you want to be the first to know when it comes out, just go over to www.betterselfbook.com, put in your email address, and I'll let you know when it's available. Again, that is www.betterselfbook.com. Thank you guys so much and enjoy the podcast. Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Corey Dion Lewis, founder of The Healthy Project and host of The Healthy Project podcast. My mission is to bring awareness to health and wellness concerns that are impacting our communities. On this podcast, you'll learn strategies to improve your health from health professionals from around the world that are trying to make an impact in people's lives. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Um, I have a great guest uh, in the building today, Sun- Sanjay Vias, uh, all the way from the UK. Hey, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Hey, Corey. It's a pleasure. Lovely to speak to you again. Yes, yes. So I was on your podcast maybe, what, six months ago? It was a, it was a while ago. It was, yeah. Um, so you, you have a great podcast and you have a uh you have a great mission where you're at. So, you know, before we begin going, getting into it, how about you tell the people a little bit about yourself and, and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, um, a health and wellness coach at the moment. I work uh, here in the UK uh, for our National Health Service. We have a uh, diabetes prevention program. So it's a type 2 diabetes prevention program. So my day job is working as a health coach on that program where we help patients who are pre-diabetic or at risk of type 2 diabetes, and we help them to make lifestyle changes to um, stop them from getting diabetes. So that covers everything from nutrition counseling, physical activity, uh, managing stress, habit change, improving sleep. Um, and we take them through a nine-month-long program, which is structured to you know, help them to make those small gradual changes to bring down their HbA1c or their blood glucose levels. So that's my day job. Yes, as you mentioned, I've got a podcast as well, uh, the Stay Whole podcast. And um that's just another passion project of mine, something I do on the side, something to spread that message of wellness, that message of using lifestyle as a form of medicine. And it's something that resonates with me quite closely because I, without knowing it, you know, back many, many years ago, I used lifestyle factors, mainly nutrition and exercise to help me overcome some of my own health battles. So I just want to help other people um, and spread the message very much like, like you're doing as well, Corey. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it. Um, what is it like in the UK as far as, you know, the diabetes epidemic, uh, specifically type two diabetes? Like, is it is it similar to that here in the US or what things are you seeing from people or noticing about um, diabetes? Yeah, when type two diabetes here in the UK is uh, is is a growing it's a growing problem it's a growing issue um, probably very very similar to to the US and you know um, here in the UK the NHS and National Health Service they were spending uh, something like I remember the statistics were ten billion pounds we're talking mm-hmm. what you know close to fifteen billion dollars. Um, on on diabetes on type two diabetes alone. Now their entire budget is a hundred billion, right? So it's ten percent of their wow. entire budget was being spent on one condition. And as we, as you and I know, and your listeners probably are well aware, it's a condition that we can help to prevent. It's not a guarantee. So, um, yes, it's a big, big problem. You know, we're seeing, uh, obviously, our, our modern lives have uh, you know taken taken hold, and our, our sedentary behaviours, our reliance on technology our accessibility or availability or um you know of, of healthy food options these all, all of these things have led to more and more people uh, walking around with type 2 diabetes and and, sc- and more scary than that there's a lot of people walking around who are pre-diabetic and type 2 diabetic that don't even know about it i see a lot of these people in the program and they they're just completely shocked that they are in this position and um i just want to try and you know work hard to help uh, yeah, raise that awareness to say, listen, it's okay that 
you are here at this point. And I think that the point here isn't to sort of look back and say, what did I do wrong and who can I blame? It's like, you can do something about it. And, and that's effectively what we're doing. But yeah, it's, it's a big problem here. Right. And you're, you're on the, you're on the front lines of that kind of, you know, not to be too dramatic, but you're on the front lines of that war, you know, of yeah. trying to get people to better themselves through preventative care. And I'm curious if you've had this situation as far as in our goal you know, it's not necessarily to scare people that get them to understand that diabetes, though you have it, you know, is, is what it is, but it's, it's a big deal. Have you, uh, have you experienced, you know, working with your, your patients that what, what do they know about type two diabetes or being pre-diabetic before they, before they see you, do they, do they have an idea of like what's going on? That's a really good question. And I think, you're right. I am. I am on the front line here. You know, in this war, and you. What what I what I see is two different extremes, right? I see the people who are very aware. You know, they have had diabetes in their family. You know, they they've, they've had a history of that, and they are very aware of what this condition can do. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you do get a lot of people who are completely unaware, right? They just think, you know, the doctors that, you know, and, and you, I asked this question, you know, what, what, what prompted you to, to come on this program? And by the way, the program that we run is completely free. You know, it's, it's right. sponsored by the okay. government. So no one's paying to be there. And, you know, I asked the question, what's motivating you to come here? And, and a lot of those people are just, oh, you know, my doctor told me, you know, like he said, my glucose is a little bit high. And, you know, I should do something about it. And he's been saying that for a number of years. And so I thought I'd do something about it now. And then when you actually go on to explain, you know, one of the first, actually the very first session that we do with them is what is diabetes. And we mm. go into, you know, what puts you at risk. And then we talk about the long-term complications. That's when you, you can see the penny dropping, you know, and they're thinking, oh gosh, okay, this is something that is very, very serious. And, and, and look, as you said, that, that isn't to scare people. All we're trying to simply do is raise pe- the public's awareness, because if we don't have an awareness of, hey, these things are impacting our life, or this condition can lead on to many of these other things, then we can't do anything about it. So I think it's just, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. There is a there is a, a big gap in knowledge. Um, it's it's changing, but I think you know when people hear diabetes, um, you know they, they, they there's there's a very very split opinion there. And I think uh, what I what I'm encouraged to see is that even those people who first come and think, oh well, you know, it's nothing. I'll, I'll just go in and see what this is all about. I see them completely change their ways and actually, you know, really embrace the program and 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 want to make the change to 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 get themselves better. That's that is great to hear because you know my experience here kind of similar in the way yeah. is you you'll have people you'll see that maybe have had diabetes for a long time or they're pre-diabetic and you ask them about it and they're like, "Well, it's you know it's just something that, you know, my doctor gave me some medicine and you know, I take my metformin in the morning and I'm and I'm good." But it's it's more it's more than just you know you take your medication and then you're good. There are like you said there are long term issues that they call it a silent killer for a reason, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like yeah, it, it, absolutely right. And then that's a, it's a very good and that good way of a, sort of an analogy of what it is, and it's a silent killer. And as I said, there are so many people walking around who don't even know that they have it, and you know these are people who eventually end up at the doctor because of long these long-term complications so they don't realize that they're walking around with high levels of blood glucose but then they have start having problems with their eyes uh, right. they start yeah. having problems with their feet you know gout and things like this they start having you know the doctor starts saying hey you, you know you've got early stages of cardiovascular disease and you know all these really serious kidney disease you know with the list goes on and and, mm-hmm. and it's only then that they they think oh gosh i've got this this problem and then then that's when the doctor can trace it back and say actually you know this is probably down to high levels of glucose so um yeah it's it's, it's a very interesting point right yeah so um I, I know you do more than just, you know, exercise nutrition with, with these, with these people that are in your program. What are some um, strategies that you use to get people to, you know, they're in your program, they're there to improve. Um, what are some other things outside of nutrition and exercise that you guys, that you focus on with, with your patients? Yes, like I said, the first step is always awareness. I think we want to educate rather than dictate. I think it's Mm -hmm. it's not about telling people what to do. It's not, you know, it's not a program where we're telling people you can't do this, you can't do that, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. It's giving people the tools and the power to make the choices themselves. 
And, you know, this is a little bit of a shift from how traditional medicine, you know, certainly here in the UK has worked. I'm sure it's very similar in the UK where it used to just be, you know, I go to the doctor, the doctor tells me to take a medication. I take the medication, I feel better. Okay, well, if we can just, I'll answer that question in a moment. If we just take a little step back, you know, you mentioned it being the silent killer, but it also used to be known here as adult onset of type two Mm -hmm. diabetes. You know, it was something you get in adulthood. Well, unfortunately, I've had teenagers on our program, you know, as young as in, in their early to late, early to mid teens. So it's no longer only exclusive to the over 40s, which is what it once was. Um, so it's it's about giving all ages awareness to say, hey, look, this is why your glucose levels could be rising. And you mentioned nutrition, you mentioned physical activity. Now, we know that physical inactivity, being overweight, mm-hmm. you know, poor nutrition are significant risk factors here. But alongside that, there are a host of no- a number of other things that people can do. So it's all good and well. I mean, look, I, I'm sure, and even the, the people you work with, Corey, I'm sure none of them have, have, have never, they're never surprised or they've probably heard many times before by a doctor or by another medical professional, hey, you know what, you need to lose weight, you know, do a bit of exercise now, or, or eat some vegetables, right? right. We've, all, we've all heard that from medical professionals or doctors, and th- this is not pointing the finger at that, that profession. However... When a patient is told, hey, you need to lose weight or you need to eat better, they don't have the skills to go out and do that. And, you know, here in the UK, we get seven to 10 minutes with our doctors in an appointment, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a 10 minute, if that, it's a 10 minute consultation. And in 10 minutes, you know, and it's not, again, this is not the doctor's fault. There's not a lot they can coach you on to say, okay, this is what you need to do to lose weight. So people will go away from that that consultation thinking, okay, the doctor's told me I need to lose weight. The doctor's told me I need to um, improve my diet. And some will make an attempt. They may join a gym or they'll go on a diet and, you know, and, and, and try to make these changes, but they don't really have the tools. So what we want to do is give them the tools, give them the awareness to say, okay, you are aware you need to make these changes. This is how, not just these are the foods you need to eat. This is how much exercise you need to do. But breaking it down into really small bite-sized chunks that you know we can that anyone can start to make changes. And I think this is this is the key message from our program is that it doesn't matter how old you are, how fit you are, how much underweight, overweight you, you are. There's always something you can do. And, you know, because, you know, especially when we talk about uh, physical activities, like, oh, you know, I've got injuries, I've got this. Okay, that's great. You have all, you know, we have these limitations, mm-hmm. but there is always something you can do. And what we try to stress is making small incremental changes every single day or, you know, every single week, let's put it that way, you don't have to be perfect, it doesn't have to be every day, is going to add up over time. You know, we always use the example of, you know, just thinking about movement, you know, if we, if we all walked for five minutes extra a day, then that's 30 hours in a year, you know, right. that's over a day's worth of walking. And then when we start sort of compound that with, okay, well, if you reduced, you know, your sugar in your tea by one teaspoon every, and you, you drink tea every day, then how much is that over a year? And these are the things, this, this long-term view, this macro perspective is something that, you know, traditional diets or, you know, um, I I don't like the word diet, but I think people know what I mean when I say that, hence I use the word. Mm -hmm. But these are the things that these diets, they don't tell you because let's be honest, if you, if someone was trying to look for a, a diet, and the 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 caption or the, the 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 sales pitch was, hey, come and come and do my diet, and in two years you will have these results. People got two years. I ain't got two years. <laughs> yeah, you know, long term doesn't sell, right? It's no. not sexy. However, I'm I'm trying to make it sexy. I'm trying to say, hey, listen, this is what works. So forget about you know getting rich quick or losing weight quick and all these sort of you know this this these these things that are out there that are meant to grab our attention. Let's go back to the basics. Let's see what actually works because you are what you do most of the time, not what you do some of the time. So what we want you to do is do the do the good things, do the things that are going to be helpful the majority of the time. And how do we do that? Well, let's break it down. Okay, well, how many how many vegetables do you eat in your day? Okay, there's not that many. Can you add one more? Can you just simply add one more vegetable to your to your plate or to your meal? each day. If you can't do it each day, can you do it a few times a week? You know, and start wherever that starting point is. And I always say we we use we use some sort of goal setting to do this. And, and part of that goal setting is 
What is it that you can add to your life right now, this moment, that's not going to cause a huge sort of upset to your life? So when, when, when people write down their goals, I say, okay, and they write, oh, I'm going to start this in a month's time or in a week's time. Why can't you start it now? Oh, well, I can't start it now because X, Y, and Z. Okay, well, then you've picked a goal that's too difficult for you to do. What is it that you can do right now that's not going to change, you know, not going to really be an upheaval in your life? Because if it's easy, if it's easy to do, you're more likely to do it. And then once you start that one habit, and it's just a case of building on that. And as I said, you know, we have them for nine months. So we we get to work with them and start to see these small incremental changes. And you'd be, I mean, you, you wouldn't be amazed, but people would be amazed that the feedback we get within a space of you know three or four sessions with people that you know they're starting to feel better they're starting to lose a bit of weight they're starting to become more active this just and and that first one i mentioned when someone just says to me do you know what i just feel better well that's a win right who who regardless of whether you've got diabetes or not or you're at risk of diabetes who doesn't want to feel better right exactly exactly you know you touched on something that that and something to think about I would love your opinion on this. I think with this, the kind of culture that we have worldwide, this is just not um, a, a here in the States culture. It's that fast pace. I need to lose 15 pounds in 15 days type of mentality to where when someone like yourself that has a background in knowledge and says, hey, this is going to take time. It's almost like a, a punch in the gut. And I feel like we have to do a better job of separating, you know, that weight loss mentality from improving your health. Because when people are in that weight loss mentality, it's always eating way less calories than than you should. It's killing yourself at the gym or or whatever the case may be, um, or some kind of fad diet or some kind of fad supplement, some fat burner or something like that. And then when they're sitting next, sitting across from a professional and they say, hey, um, this is going to take two years. It's like, what? My my best friend just lost 15 pounds doing insert diet. And it's like, well, this isn't about this is about health that that is very unhealthy. <laughs> but This is about improving your health. What can we do, if anything, to kind of help? people understand that improving your health, you know, the, is a, it's a kind of a long-term, it's a forever game. Like it's a, it's a long-term mindset other than, you know, my blood pressure or not my, my blood pressure, sorry, my blood sugar or my glucose has been high for years or months. It's going to take me some time to really change my behavior uh, to create these healthier outcomes. I think you just said it there, Corey. I think you said this is for life. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that that's the key, isn't it? I think when you, you mentioned these diets, you mentioned these workout plans, they are all what I call or what we call here outcome based. Right. So if somebody yeah. if somebody wants to go, if somebody's going on a diet, somebody's joining a gym, someone's starting a workout plan, whatever it might be, with a view of achieving a, a particular tangible outcome. And of course, let's just let's just take weight loss as an example, because that's the common one that we hear. I want to, why do you want to do this? Well, I want to do this to lose weight. Okay, well, losing weight is an outcome-based goal, right? Improving your health for life, as you said, there's no end point there, right? It's just improving the quality of life. Um, and when we work towards outcome goals, first of all, think something, let's just take something like weight loss. Mm-hmm. Weight loss is not something that Anybody here, no matter how much of a professional you are, and I challenge anyone you know out there on the internet to even you know try this, you cannot exactly dictate. You know, you, I can't wake up in the morning and say, "Today I'm going to lose 2.25 pounds." Right? I can't do that. I right. don't have the ability. I don't have the skills. I don't have the knowledge. I mean, I have the knowledge, but I can't. Even I, we can't do that, right? Right. I can't wake up and and dictate what clothes size I'm going to be by the end of the day. So these are what we call outcome-based goals. Whereas what we try to focus on is, okay, well, you can't, fo- you can't make that happen in a day or in a, in a week or whatever, however long period it is. But what can you do each day? Okay, well, I can wake up each day and decide, do I want to eat vegetables today or not? 
I can wake up each day and decide, am I going to go and do some physical activity? Am I going to go for a walk? Am I going to, you know, take a moment and just do some, some breathing exercises? Those are things that we're in charge of. Those are the things that we're in control of. So if we can start to shift people, people's mindset from this outcome, and look, I think that's just come from, you know, consumerism, commercialism, you know, we're in this, you know, very consumer driven you know, culture at the moment, and we need an outcome, we need a goal. Well, my question is, what happens when you get there, right? If you want to lose X amount of weight, or you want to, you know, let's switch it from something, you know, as a, as a personal trainer, when I worked in fitness industry, I want a certain type of body on a certain physique. Okay, what happens when you get there? What do you do, right? And, and you could link the same to blood glucose because some people say, oh, I just want to get my blood glucose down. And that's great. But then what I've also seen is people get their blood glucose down and think, hey, my blood glucose is fine now. And then everything that they've done sort of reverts back to what they were doing before. And of course, if your blood right. glucose goes down, it goes back up again. So if we can, as I said, if we can shift that mindset to, hey, all, what, I'm, what I'm doing is just trying to improve the quality of my life day by day, you know, small percentage by small percentage, I'm going to feel better, I'm going to live better. And as a consequence, you know, I think of it, you know, if you think about medication and drug, you take a drug, there's a side effect. Nobody takes the drug for the side effect. Well, for me, lifestyle is the drug. And the side effects are actually good things like you're going to be fitter, you're going to lose weight, you're going to feel better. So if we can focus on doing the thing in the moment, in the day, then this, the stuff like weight loss and your blood glucose and all that, that will take care of itself. Absolutely. Um, I think that's one of the, the key things that's one way people need to look at it is that, you know, let's try and move away from these outcome-based goal and let's focus on the process. That That's good. And, you know, I, I try to tell people that, you know, weight loss is the cherry on top. Like when we improve our health, it's inevitable, right? If you're going from eating 3000 calories from fast food and junk and you change your diet, the weight loss is inevitable. Like it's going to, it's going to happen. <laughs> right. So, but changing that mindset is, is from outcome based. I really, that's, that's good. I really like that. You, you had talked about earlier that um, you're seeing more, you know, younger people now, teenagers, this is a two-part question. One, do you feel, is it easier or harder working with younger people in your program? And two, being, working with younger clients, you know, how do you get to the parent, you know, to, because most of the time when I, when I'm seeing kids in my office, I can talk to the kids and they're very into it and they're learning, they, they want to learn. They want to know more about fruits and vegetables or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, the parent is making the decisions on what's for dinner and things like that. So um, how do you work with those younger uh, people in your program? And is there some, do you work with the, the parents as well? How does that work? Yeah. So sorry, I should have been clear earlier. So we don't actually work with anyone under the age of 18 on our program. Um, oh, okay. So we've had, we've had people who are 18, 19 on the program. As well, oh, gotcha. However, there's a very good point. So just, just to tackle that first part of the question. Um, I personally, and this is just my personal anecdotal evidence, you know, based on my experience, I find it easier to work with the younger population because I feel like the younger population are, are a little bit more open to, Hey, do you know what? It doesn't have to be this way. Right. And I mm. think they're a little bit more open there. You know, they uh, they have more tools at the disposal, of course, there's social media. So they're aware that the knowledge, the information is out there. Um, and, and yes, of course they are heavily influenced. Well, we all are right. We, we all yep. do, we all do what our parents did and that's just the way it is. Um, and so I think just that they're, they're a little bit more open to it. They're a little bit more open to change. Um, I find that, it's there's still a battle with sort of getting away from that. I want it now culture, you know, this, uh, and I call it for the young generation, I call it the Insta culture, right? We have <laughs> Instagram and, you know, Netflix yep. and you anything you want, you get it now, right? You know, I can order a pizza without even picking up my phone. I can just talk to it and I'll get yep. a pizza at my door. Right. So we have to, there's still that battle of, Hey, this is not, a, this is a long-term game, but I find that they're more susceptible. They're more willing to sort of make those changes. Um, so the, the 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 question you asked about how do you get to the parents is a very good one, and this is something that I certainly am want to try and champion here in the UK is trying to bring some of this education into schools because you know one of the mm -hmm. some of the comments I get from parents from grandparents 
it's like, hey, why have we never been told any of this stuff at school? And, you know, what we're teaching them in the program is nothing, you know, it's not rocket science. It's nothing revolutionary. It's all out there in the public domain. It's just like you said, people choose to pick and we we look for the headlines, right? We look for that clickbait culture. Oh, that, that looks interesting. So I think the education has to start, you know, from schools. Yes, of course, if kids are learning at schools, they're still going home to their parents. But, you know, as, 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 the generations change, you know, I'm a parent now and I've got, you know, people that are younger than me who are becoming parents. I think we're becoming more aware that, Hey, there is more to it than just go to the doctor, take a drug and feel better. There's, there's something we could do to prevent. So um, there is a, there is a, there is a small shift taking place there. Yeah. I think you're onto something with this uh, educating the schools, you know, and here, you know, we, we talk to kids about um, drugs. We talk to kids about, alcohol and you know and you know staying away from drugs staying away from alcohol and these things in in the school and the kids will come home and say daddy you shouldn't you shouldn't drink wine or you shouldn't drink alcohol while you drive which is great i'm glad they they have that but i've never had one of my kids come home and say daddy you shouldn't have that candy bar because it can raise your blood sugar and you can get diabetes (laughs) you know what i mean i think that is important especially with it being such a huge problem in the world you know what i mean not even here in america uk i read somewhere that china you know they're they're the diabetes epidemic there is is growing it's everywhere you know i feel like that that education should be in schools Let's. I mean, yeah. If you if we just break down why why we go to why kids go anyway why we went to school why do people go to school we go to school to prepare us for life that's that's how I look at it right it's a preparation for life now life isn't just math science history English right there's there's more to it that than that Um, you know it's not just about learning how to work out angles and do Pythagoras's theorem and all these things that you know I don't know about you but I've never used any of those formulas since I've left school right it's not been it's not been that it's not been that useful I'm not saying people don't use it but the majority of people don't I mean I know I've got friends who have got degrees that they never use right they did this degree in this topic and they're not even doing they're doing a job that's completely not related to it so you know what we learn in education needs to, from my perspective it needs to be the tools that are going to enable us to live a better life and for me the fundamentals there are how to eat how to cook right because yeah. that's a that's a fundamental part of looking after yourself how to you know how to look after your health and well-being and how to prevent disease and we have so much knowledge so much not just knowledge we have evidence hard scientific evidence that has been, you know, looked at peer reviewed, you know, meta-analysis, we have all of this data out there. So let's use some of that and let's start letting the future generations get the tools to look after themselves. So then we, you know, Hey, I'm talking myself out of a job here, but hopefully by the time this happens, <laughs> I'm not going to be working in the, you know, I'm going to be retired and, and living my life. But yeah, we, I, I would like to see a point where we, we where we say, Hey, you know what? We don't need this program anymore because everyone knows what they're doing. And that has to start from, from the education, as you said. Absolutely. You, you said something earlier that I wanted to kind of discuss. And it was when we were talking about kids, how kids are, are or younger adults are easier to get to and talk to and, and work with because, you know, we do have those adults that have had type two diabetes for a long time. And this is just their life, right? That's how, that's how they feel. This is what it is. I'm always going to have high blood sugar. I'm always going to be overweight. This is just my life. How do you get to that, get to that person to get them to understand that, um, it is preventative and it's it's not their life, but they're stuck in that mindset. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good, that's a very good question. And, and that can be hard because, you know, you're almost sometimes going against the fabric of family values or what their families have done for years. And, and they may look at their families and say, well, you know, this is, this is what's wrong with that. So they, there is this, and, and I think that can be that idea of, Hey, this is how you are going to be is, is kind of set from those values. Perhaps, you know, and this is not uncommon, right? Perhaps the the child is, is 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 obese, and they look around their family, and everybody's obese and overweight. And I'm just just thinking about my own life. I remember when I was younger, you know, and I would go to family events, and and a lot of my uncles and aunts, and you know, they were they were overweight. So for me, back then, being a child, being overweight was normal. It was it was a, it was the thin people that were weird. Um, so, so that's a, it's a very difficult, you know, mm-hmm. 
path to tread and try to get to coach them out of there. But I think if you can help them to understand that, you know, the human body is not designed to move that way. And we, you know, we go on to talk about one of the other things we talk about is um, stress and how stress plays an impact on your light on your blood glucose, you know, when we're in the fight or flight mode. And we start talking about what, how we've evolved to, you know, why stress was there and its purpose. And you sort of start telling this story about, you know, why these things happen. And now in this modern world, you know, we're not faced by the threat of being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. We're, we're being faced by the threat of, you know, um, COVID-19 and other, you know, right. fast food and, you know, uh, screens and social media. And I think when you, it's just, it's just education like anything else, but you, yeah, of course you have to tread very carefully and, you know, make sure you're not, you know, damaging any family values that they've been, they've been taught, particularly when it comes to food, right? Because, mm. and I, and I'm sure you see, so I work with a lot of, um, you know, people from black and ethnic minorities, um, you know, yeah. populations here. And of course we know that those populations that are at increased risk of things like type two diabetes. So when you start talking about food and saying, you know, we're going to try and reduce these types of foods and increase these types of foods and that, well, they're the foods that we've always eaten. You know, that's the food that my, my grandmother's always cooked. So that can also be a, a slippery slope because they're thinking, well, what do I do? Do I not eat my regular food? I think that's when we start to introduce this idea of, Hey, look, enjoy the foods that you, you regularly eat, but perhaps there's something we can do with portion control. Perhaps you can, Take, you can change it slightly to increase your vegetables. And, you know, I also go, go on and I've had many people, you know, grandmothers, you know, people of my grandmother's age on the program in their eighties, you know, and um, they will say the same thing. They'll say, oh, I've been eating, you know, these foods for years and things like that. And especially people, you know, I work with a lot of Indian uh, and Asian um, mm-hmm. uh, minorities here and uh, given being Indian, Indian myself. And, and I have this conversation with my grandmother all the time because she said, oh, you know, you talk about all this diet and this, this, this and that. And I've been doing this all my life. Said, I said, grandma, when you were a girl, you know, what, what was your life like? And yeah, she describes her life and she lived in, she lived in East Africa. That's where they were. They, they grew up and she said, oh, you know, I used to walk to school for, it was a three mile walk to school yeah. and a three mile walk back. And I was like, right, okay, keep going. And then I said, where'd you get your food from? I was like, oh, we used to go to the market and you have to carry everything. I was like, right, okay. I said, how'd you do it? How, what's the difference between that and now? And, you know, oh, but she doesn't go out now. I was like, okay, well, you know, so we, when you make that comparison about what your life was like and what our ancestors' lives were like when they were eating that diet, of course, you were. It was a very physically physically active life. Needed that diet. You needed that <laughs> diet, right? You, if you didn't eat like that, you'd you'd be dropped on the floor, and you know, especially in Africa, yeah. you know, on, the, on the three mile trek to school. So, you know, it's, it's again, it's hard because that kind of. I, I find sometimes people feel a bit offended when you when you start talking that way, but it's just highlighting that hey, your lifestyle has significantly changed. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. from from where you were in Africa to where you were in India to where you are now here in the UK in London with this, you know life full of mod cons and you know you go back you know we have family in india still and you go back to india and you know it's changing a lot i mean actually you mentioned china india is another place where type 2 diabetes is massively on the rise really? and, and and you know we you look at why that is well it's the industrialization it's you know um you know i don't want to name name names here but it's the it's the fast food brands that suddenly have this influx into into society which they never had before and now they have access to these foods that have never been part of their their traditional their culture and of course modernization technology all yeah. of these things are coming in social media so they're seeing everyone around the world doing these things and some of they start doing these things and they start wanting to live that life that they're seeing on the television or through their screens yeah, it is. It is just. It's about treading carefully and, and explaining, you know, why that diet was the right diet for the time. And it's not. I'm not. And we don't say that that's the wrong diet for the time. But ha- perhaps, you know, as you said, you needed that diet, which means that you needed that amount of energy. Perhaps we need to reflect yeah. our diet now on what our energy needs are at the moment. Which compare, just using my grandmother as example. I'm sure she won't mind me talking about her. But you know, um, just let's reflect the diet to your activity levels now. And that's something that we look at as well. Absolutely. You know, I remember being a young kid and when I say young kid, I mean like, you know, freshman, sophomore in, in college and coming back home and my mom would cook how she would cook. Everything was fried or whatever. And that with the knowledge that I had being like, I, maybe I shouldn't, I want to eat this because it's, it's a good 
home cooked meal. Tastes good. I'm not saying it doesn't it's taste great. good. <laughs> but like, I didn't want to, you know, in, in black cultures or, you know, black families, you don't want to upset the matriarch. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and my mom was one of those people where she cooking for people is one of her, you know, love languages. That's how she shows her love. So for me being like, no, I, I don't, I only want a little bit that that can be upsetting to her. So having that battle of, do I, do I eat this just because I know it's going it's to upset my mom if I don't. And if I don't say I want seconds, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Or do I stick with, Hey, this is just not what I need right now. That, that is hard for somebody. So I, I totally, I can, I can sympathize with, with that for sure. You know, it's definitely, you know, dealing with certain cultures and how the, it's specifically when it comes to food is hard. Cause I never want to tell someone they can't have their cultural foods and things that they identify with. Yeah. But like you said, I, I would speak, I had a, I had a lady who was from Africa in my office one day and she would tell me how one of her exercise goal that she wanted for herself was to walk from her house to the grocery store, which was like a five or six mile walk. And she said it like, like it was not like, you know, like, or no, it was longer than that, man. It was probably like eight or nine miles. And I'm like, you're going to do that every day. And she was like, I would do that in Africa all the time. That was nothing. But now it's like, all I got to do is get in my car and go to the grocery store. It's, it's different. You know, it's, it's, it's so, it's so different. So very different. Um, yeah, I, I definitely understand, agree with that. Can we, um, I want to talk about stress a little bit. Because I don't feel like people really connect that with their with diabetes and how that can influence um, how they feel and, and, and all of that. Can you talk a little bit how you talk with uh, your patients about stress and what are some tools and things that you you use with them to get them to really improve that? Yeah, so this is this is actually one of my favorite things to talk about, and and because it's uh, I find it, it it's quite enlightening because you know. We, we just we've we've talked about you know food exercise being overweight. However, you know and I know that type two diabetes doesn't just affect people that are overweight. And then right. the, yep. and this is the other side of the coin as well, where we have people on the program who you know I consider that well we can see from their BMI they're not overweight, right? Um, they eat a pretty good diet. You know, it's a relatively healthy, you know, it's a good diet. There's nothing too wrong with their food. They do, they're engaging in physical activity. You know, I mean, I've had triathletes on the program and they're wow. just confused. They're like, why, why is, why are my blood glucose levels raised? And this is where we start talking about stress and sleep. So, you know, the, the stress piece is really interesting. And if we, first of all, it'd be, it's important to define what stress is because when you ask that question to a lot of people they will say things they'll say things which are either symptoms so oh it's anxiety it's depression it's you know low mood and yeah these are all symptoms of stress but what actually is stress and if we actually break it down stress is the way that our body and our mind respond to physical or um, or, or, or physical events threats that are outside of us right right so if, Stress is simply a response. It's a response. And if we think about, you know, why we need stress, because of course we do need stress. Some, a little bit of stress is good for us, right? We know that a little bit of stress helps us to, it helps motivate us. It helps keep us safe. You know, if you're walking down the street in a night and you can, you feel that, oh, is someone following me? That's stress telling you, hey, be on alert. Someone might be around. That's helping you right in that moment. Um, so we need a little bit of stress. But if we think back to the stress response, so what is this response that happens to us? Well, you know, you can create a stress response without anything really happening, right? You can create a stress response just by your thoughts. And the example I like to use is, um, you know, watching a horror film, right? If right. somebody's watching a horror film, and, you know, and, and, and we know, right, you know, before watching the horror film, it's completely made up. It's, com it's a complete work of fiction, right? <laughs> but what still happens to people when they're watching a horror film? Scared. They, they get scared. So what's, mm. what's being scared? Your heart rate goes up. You get sweaty palms. Your breathing rate might go up. You get a bit of tension, right? Oh, God, this, this, don't go in that door, right? You know, we get this tension. We, we start react. Mm. What's happening inside of you? Your blood pressure's going up. Your heart rate's going up. All of these are stress responses. So if we think about this, and, and, and that's happening to you, even though you're sat there in the safety of your own home 
and watching a film. Now, in that in that in that anecdotal situation, it's, it's quite harmless. But if we think about, um, let's go back to why those things happen. Why do these things happen when we're stressed? Well, if we break it, if we go right back to sort of prehistoric times and evolution, well, the the stresses that we had in life were not having food, not having shelter, uh, and being hunted. Right. So I always use the the, the hunting example. So we we we, call, we we use this term fight or flight all the time. So what does that mean? Well, you know, back then we would be going along our merry ways and looking for food, perhaps, and we're faced with an animal uh, that's about to eat us for their dinner. So the first thing that we we when we see that animal, it's it's a sharp intake of breath. There's your there's your first stress response, right? Your breathing changes. Yep. Um, now you've got two options here, right? There's three options, right? Fight, fight, or freeze. Freeze. But I'm just going to talk, talk about fight or flight. So you can either fight this animal, um, or you can run away. Now doesn't matter which one you do, the response is the same. So my heart rate goes up. Well, if I'm going to fight an animal, or if I'm going to run away, is it useful for my heart rate to go up, to get more blood, to get more oxygen into my muscles to help me fight or help me run away? Yes. It's going to be useful to get that, right? right. My blood pressure goes up. Why does my blood pressure go up? Well, my blood pressure goes up so I can send more blood to my brain so I can think clearly. If I'm trying to run away from this animal, I need to be able to think fast. I want more oxygen in my brain. So my blood pressure goes up. Perfect. Why, does my, why do my muscles tense up? Well, your muscles tense up because you need tense muscles if you're going to sprint, right? You're not going to sprint right. being all floppy and loose. You need to, you know, or if you're going to be the, the hero and try and fight this animal, you need to be, you know, you need to tense up and, and, and get your strength. Absolutely. So your muscles, muscles, muscle tension goes up. Your breathing rate goes up. Why does your breathing rate goes up? Well, you get more oxygen in so you can pump that oxygen around to your body. And we can go on. Your digestive system shuts down. Why does your digestive system shut down? Because in that moment, you don't need, your body's thinking, I don't need to worry about the food, your breakfast right now. I need to keep you alive. So I'm just going to cut, I'm going to divert the energy to where you need it. So I'm going to cut off blood supply to your digestion. And the other place that it cuts off blood supplies is to your, your sexual organs, right? So your reproductive organs. Um, and then the final thing, or one of not the final thing, one of the other things that happens, which is why, where we link it to type two diabetes is that your liver mobilizes to put glucose into your bloodstream. Why? Well, because if you're going to fight this bear or you're going to run away from it, you're going to need some energy. So our body releases glucose into our bloodstream. Now, the key thing here is back in that time, that stress, that stressor, which is the bear in this case, as I said, that stress doesn't last for that long, right? It's acute. Because if I fight the bear, well, there's two outcomes, right? The most likely one is he's going to, he or she's going to beat me. I'm dead. Once you're dead, the stress is gone, right? There's no stress. Um, if I successfully, if I successfully defeat the bear, maybe I've got an army with me and I, we managed to, to take the bear down. Well, again, I ask, how are you going to feel the moment that you take that bear down? Well, most people say, oh, relieved. How does relief manifest itself? <sighs> that is all of those responses going down. I mean, we didn't mention cortisol and adrenaline, which are the two of the hormones which were released in that response. But when we, that's everything coming. Heart rate comes down, breathing rate comes down, muscle tension comes down, you know, it's blood supply, dude, all of that stuff starts to work again. If I run away, same thing. One of two response, one of two outcomes, right? I get caught and I get eaten or I run away and it's like, it's gone. So the stress goes away and we carry on with our lives. If we fast forward to 2021, well, if we take a, a stressful scenario, I don't know, let's just take a really simple example, traffic, right? London traffic's pretty bad and I've experienced it. And I've seen people in, in traffic get really stressed. I mean, you know, road rage is a real thing. We see programs about it. It's a real thing. That's, that's a stress response. Well, in that moment, sitting in your car, let's have a think about it. Do you need an increased heart rate? Do you need increased breathing rate? Do you need extra muscle tension? Do you need glucose in your bloodstream what to bang your fists on the steering wheel to you know f and blind at the person in front of you no right. you don't right you don't so we're, we're we're stressed in the car and i always use this as a typical journey to work right someone's in the in in their car they're going to work and they're already stressed before they've got to work they get to work right and they're 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 still reeling from the fact that they're late so they're late for work now and they're like oh my god i'm late for work there's another dose of stress, right? We're feeling a bit stressed. Our heart rate's going up. We're feeling flustered. You get to work. You're late. Your boss has a go at you. More stress. You check your emails. I mean, you get you get what's going. The whole this 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 term called chronic stress is where that stress that stressor that stress doesn't go away like the bear did. 
right? It's just continuous. It's one thing after another. Now that is creating elevated heart rate all the time. It's creating elevated blood pressure. It's creating elevated levels of glucose in your blood. And of course, we know that when you have too much glucose in your blood, you have too much insulin, too much insulin is going to lead to insulin resistance, which is going to cause type two diabetes. So that's where stress has a significant impact because in modern, in modern life, the stresses are everywhere. Right. It, yeah. it can, like I said, they're, they're, they're everywhere. And, and look, we can't we can't always control them. And I think this is what we go to say. So, so just to highlight the fact that those things that are happening when you're stressed, they're there to help you. However, your body, your brain is still the two million year old brain. Right. It doesn't know any different. It still thinks when you're sat in traffic and you're you know, you're getting angry, it thinks you're being attacked by a bear. So what does it do? Mm-hmm. Well, it does all the things that we just said. Um, yeah, we mentioned, you know, I, I, we speak to a lot of people and who have undiagnosed or un, uh, yeah, undi- or they, they don't know what the cause is of things like digestive issues. IBS is a common one, right? Irritable bowel yep. syndrome. Men have a, there's, a, there's a, a high percentage of men who are highly stressed with erectile dysfunction. Well, why are these things happening? Well, because when we're stressed, our body's cutting off blood supply to those areas because we don't need them. So if we can just explain to people that those responses are there for a reason, you don't need those responses in that moment. So we need to work, we need to take action to try and reduce that response. So and I hope that answers your question, Corey. But that's where, yeah. you know, that's where where stress plays a part. And then we kind of go, we can need to go on and say, okay, well, if my life is like that, what can I do about it? Right. And that would be sort of the, the next part of the discussion. Right. So asking yourself is is this a is this an animal attack moment? If not, then just let it go. Is my child in danger? Right. If my child's in yes. danger, yeah, I'm. I I get straight on alert. Right. We've got my daughter plays on the road here, and there's a couple of times where I'm like, it's, it's, yep. it's a car. You know that that's a that's a genuine moment of I need to run out and, and do something. So yeah, am I in danger here? If not, you know, do I need to respond this way? Does my body need to respond this way? And, and of course, sometimes it can be a very reflex reaction. I mean, we're conditioned, right? We just talked about our families and how yeah. we, we do what our parents do. And, and that can be a conditioned response. It's maybe what we've seen around us this whole time. So that's just the way we condition ourselves to respond. And yeah, like anything, like losing weight, like getting fit. Yeah, this is also um, going to take a little bit of time to, to reverse. And, and you absolutely can reverse it. Um, you know, so how do we reverse it? Well, I always just simply say, look, if what we are trying to battle is stress, what is a word that nicely identifies the complete opposite of stress? And that word is relaxation. Okay, so what can we do to help us to relax more? Because if we're relaxing more, we're off. We're doing the opposite of that stress response, right? We're bringing our heart rate down. We're bringing our stress hormones down. We're bringing our breathing rate down, and we're trying to bring you know those feel good hormones up, endorphin, dopamine, all these things. So um, there's a big, big part to play here with stress. Yeah. Anybody listening, don't quit your job because <laughs> that's where a lot of stress comes from, right? From people's job. You know what I mean? Don't quit just yet. Have a backup plan. Because yeah. <laughs> that can create more stress if you want of money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and look, this this is it. and this is this is again people. Oh, but you know, what can I do? My my job is stressful. I got children. I got to worry. I got financial problems. And look, we get it. I get it. Yeah, I, I I really do get it. I know. And this is what I'm saying. In the modern world, with everything that we've got around us, it's a lot harder to sort of go, you know, we're almost, you know, almost trying to go backwards in a way to move forward, right? We're trying to say, you know, your, your, I mean, we didn't even talk about the screens, your phone, every time you're, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't have any notifications on my phone because every time that thing used to ding, them off. man, I just, oh, what is it now? Like, who, mm-hmm. and, and I'd get this micro dose of stress and I, and no matter what I'd be doing, I'd be doing something relaxing and I just hear that phone or you see that my Blackberry back in the days. That's how old I am. You know, you see that, <laughs> that red flashing light. Oh yeah. I'd be like, yeah. Oh God. What, what, what is it now? It was always a work thing. Cause you only have Blackberries from work. So um, yeah, it is difficult. It is difficult. But if you don't have a strategy in place, if you don't have a way to manage stress, because look, let's, let's be honest, we can't control stress. Some things are outside of our control, right? So let's take COVID-19. The, pa- right? the pandemic. Yeah. Pandemic. Show us right. that for sure. I can't control it. I can't control the government telling me I can't go out. I can't control the virus being spread. I can't control any of that. What can I control? My response. 
I can control the way I think about it, the way I respond to it. And I use that horror film as an example because what what let's just take the pandemic and the early part of the pandemic. What did people do in the early days? And probably, you know, they're probably still doing it, but in the very early days of the pandemic, what what was the only the majority of the time people were doing was watching the news. Yeah. What's going on? What's happening? And every and it was 24-7, right? And we, you know, over, here, over here it was 24-7. The ticker on the side of how many deaths were we're adding up. Yeah. This, right. This constant stress. And every time you're doing that, every time you're watching that, there's that stress response. There, and, and then then it goes on to, you know, just like the horror film, something that is, it hasn't even happened. What if I get the virus? What if I go out and get infected? What if my family member? All these things that haven't even happened yet, mm-hmm. but we're thinking about them is creating that stress response inside of us. And that, you know, uh, happening, and look, it's been happening for it's over 12 months now. We're still yep. we're still not out of it. And there are people who are still in that cycle of that, that negative news. And, you know, I'm... Uh, there's been I've been affected by COVID nineteen on a personal level. Um, I do think there's a lot of positive to come out of this, but I do think we still haven't seen the the bulk of the mental health um, mm-hmm. disorders that are going to come out of this because of people just being in this sort of stress response cycle uh, for you know it's just nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. That that's good. Um, Sanjay, thank you so much for your time for being on the podcast today. Um, I've been trying to get you on forever. I just kept forgetting, but I'm, I'm so happy I got you on today. Um, for anybody listening that wants to get in co- contact with you and learn more about you or learn more about your podcast, where can they find you? Well, first of all, thanks, Corey, for having me on. It was a, it's a pleasure. And, you know, I'm, I'm always open to speaking to people about these things. I think, you know, one of the things I've, I've loved since doing my podcast is to connect with people like yourself and other like-minded individuals who are just out there uh, just, just spreading this message. I just, just think of it like we're, a, we're an army of ants working towards the same, the same goal. So um, thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, yes, uh, you can reach me uh, and find out about my podcast. Instagram is probably the best place. Uh, it's uh, Stay Whole Life. Um, is my Instagram handle and you can get, uh, you can find my website through there. You can find my podcast. The podcast is called the stay whole podcast. It's available on all your favorite uh, podcast app. And then there's my website, which is uh, stayhole.co.uk, uh, And that's where you'll find me. Awesome. Well, again, uh, Sanjay, thank you for being on and uh, everybody. Thank you for listening to the healthy project podcast. I'll let you next time.